We're going to talk about Acts 15, the council at Acts 15, what was really going on there, and uh, some things that uh, we can learn here, you know. Often, when you start something new, no matter what the thing is, when you start something new, don't you kind of want to have a basic idea as far as what you need to do to accomplish something? You know, when you're starting something new, Josh, I'm getting a lot of ring up here now, if you can make an adjustment there. Um, when you're starting something new, just, just you kind of want to have an idea, for lack of a better term, what the rules are. <laughs> you know, even if just playing a game, you kind of want to know how to play the game. You kind of want to know how to do things. Well, guess what, guys? Yahweh has come to us and given us his word. When we give our lives to him, we give our hearts to him. See, we knew how to live our own way. We knew how to live in our own wisdom and our own thoughts and just the way we've been raised and just to, to learn for ourselves. But Yahweh says there's a better way. And the same thing happened when he brought his children out of Mitzrayim. He brought them to the mountain to reveal himself to his people and give them his word so that we could walk with him. Guys, it's the same thing with us today. When we give our hearts to Yahweh, when we surrender to him, we need to learn his heart. We need to learn how he's established his ways for us. We need to learn how to follow him. Yeshua said, follow me. And he didn't mean that, you know, figuratively. He meant that literally, right? Follow me. And that wasn't just to like get out and just walk behind him or walk beside him, whatever. It was also to learn the things that you experienced in the process of following him. So these are the things that we are talking about today, Acts 15, because the, the idea here, kind of like cutting to the chase and then we'll get into it, is that what are we going to do for people who are, have no relation to Israel, so they're not familiar with Yahweh or his covenants or the promises or the things of it, but yet we've come to the realization Yahweh is the one true God, and we want to serve him, but we don't know how. So the danger of this is, well, this is the way I always worship my gods, so I'm going to worship Yahweh this way. And Yahweh specifically says, no, you don't do that to me. You know, you do not worship me the way the, 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 these other nations worship their gods. And he told us how to follow him and how to worship him, the things that are good, the things that are acceptable, things that are clean, things that are holy. He told us how to worship him and walk with him. Right, And so the problem comes into when we start making assumptions and assuming that Yahweh is like we are. See, he's not. <laughs> but yet when we come to him and he redeems us, he is making us into like he is. He says, you are holy, not because of all these things we can do to make us holy. No, it says you are holy because he is holy. See, he makes you holy. He redeems you. He makes you holy. He cleans you. And now he says, walk with me so that we can learn how to walk in his ways and to do these things, okay? So this is the basis of what Acts 15 was about. So how does this break down? Okay, well, let's get into that, all right? So for the Acts 15 council, the question was, what do we tell all these Gentiles who are coming to the faith, one, concerning circumcision, what does that mean? Okay, when we read in the scripture, it says of the circumcision, it, it was not just a cutting of flesh, Okay? That's not just the thing that we're thinking of. That's not it. When they say circumcision, what they're meaning is a conversion. And what, what would they convert to? Well, they would convert to the Judaism of the day, obviously, of the time that they were in. But the idea behind that is that you cannot serve Yahweh from the nations. You have to convert to Judaism. And this is the big issue that exploded all over and people were having a problem with uh, Paul and everything else because of all this. He was not saying circumcision is not important or it's not relevant or whatever. What he's saying is you don't have to convert to Judaism to serve Yahweh. Okay, so this was the big issue behind that. Okay, now this was two of the issue, one, one of two of the issues that were going on. There were people saying you have to convert to Judaism and be circumcised. Then you have to keep the Torah. All right, so this was the issue that was going on here. So let's read it, and let's break it down and get into it. So Acts 15, verse 1. So, but some men came down from Yehuda to Antioch and began teaching the brothers, you can't be saved unless you undergo the Brit Malah in the manner prescribed by Moshe. Again, like I said, when you're reading this, it's not just a matter of cutting the skin. What they were saying is, uh, let, me, let me put it in a terminology that some of us may, may appreciate today. You have to go to our new converts class to see that you line up with our ideology and, and beliefs. You have to convert to our denomination. 
in order for you to serve God. And that was not the point. But this is what was what they were saying. In verse 5, go down to Acts 15, 5. But some of those who had come to trust were from the party of the Pharisees, that's the Pharisees, and they stood and they said, it is necessary to circumcise them and direct them to observe the Torah of Moshe. So we see two things here. One, the circumcision meaning convert to Judaism, and two, to keep the Torah. So these are the two things that were, that were being done there. So what was the result of this? What happened there? Well, verse 6 says, so the emissaries and the elders met to look into this matter. The emissaries being... Uh, Yeshua's Talmudim, his disciples, the apostles, okay? So they met along with elders to look into this matter, to look into what matter? What was, what was the question? What was being asked here? What was being done? What matter? Go to, see this, go back to Acts 14, the chapter right before. Acts 14, verses 25 to 20, 28. Paul and Barnabas, they were, after speaking in Perga, they went down to Athelia. From there, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been entrusted to the gracious care of God for the work not completed. So they were in Antioch. And when they arrived and they gathered together Messiah's community, they began to report all the good or all that God had done in helping them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there quite a while with the disciples. So what are they doing? They're talking about God is opening the door of faith to the nations, the people of the nations. That's what Gentile means. The word goyim means nations in scripture. So when we say Gentile, what we're meaning is not Jew, (laughs) right? Not Israel, right? But uh, goyim is the word that's used there in the Hebrew. Goyim just means the people of the nations. So then they stayed there a while with the disciples. So now this is what's going on. Paul is saying there's, there's people of, of the nations who are coming to faith and turning to faith, and this is an awesome thing. And immediately after hearing this, now there are people from the Pharisees that are there, these people and some other brothers that are going down there to where Paul is, going to Antioch, saying, wait a minute, you guys have to convert to Judaism in order to serve God now. See, you can kind of see where the problem is coming in. So then, again, uh, Acts 15, 1 and 2, some, some of them are coming down, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So when Paul and Barnabas had a big argument and debate with them, the brothers appointed Paul and Barnabas with some of the others among them to go up to Jerusalem to the emissaries and the elders about this issue. So they didn't leave it to be resolved among themselves. They wanted to go before the apostles and some elders to kind of make a ruling about what is to be done here and what are we going to do in this issue because it's going to continue to be an argument, continue to be a fight. We even see Paul dealing with it later on, right? So what was going on? What's really being said here is like we had said, the term circumcision is used synonymously with conversion, okay? Like I said, in order to be in covenant, you have to be a Jew. The thing is, if you say Judah, that's one tribe out of 12, right? So there are other tribes beyond Judah that Yahweh says he's redeeming and drawing to himself and, and, and using to do his will and perform his will. So that's not only the case here, but the, the tribe of Judah has kept uh, the, the integrity of the Torah. No matter what, they have kept the integrity of the Torah. And, and even from generation to generation and copying and the scrolls and just coming down from generations, they've kept the integrity of the word of Yahweh. It has been entrusted to them to do so, and they have done so. No matter what, the other, all, the, all the other tribes have been exiled and, and gone in and kind of assimilated and gone whatever. Although when Judah was exiled, they returned, they remained a tribe. And that was according to the promise that Yahweh had said, that they will remain, there will always be a remnant of them there, and they kept the oracles of God. So that, Acts 15, 5 to 7. But some of those who had come to trust were from the party of the Pharisees, and they stood and they said, it's necessary to circumcise them and direct them to observe the Torah of Moshe. So the emissaries and the elders look to met to meet into this, to look into this. So after a lengthy debate, Kepha, which is Peter, Kepha stood up and he said to them, Brothers, you yourselves know that a good while back, God chose me from among you to be the one by whom the mouth of the Goyim should hear the message of the good news and come to trust. So how did Peter, how did he come to this understanding or this realization that God said he was going to use him to speak to some people who were of the nations about Yahweh and to show them that they had this place of covenant and could come in and place of covenant with him? How did Kepha come to this understanding? In order to do this, you got to go back to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. So there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius who was what? a Roman army officer. It was called uh, the Italian Regiment. So he was not a Jew. He was not from Israel, had nothing to do with him. But yet we find he is a devout man and a God-fearer, right? So what does it testify? 
So as was his whole household, and he gave generously to help the Jewish poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon around three o'clock, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared at the angel terrified. What is it, sir? He asked. Your prayers, replied the angel, and your acts of charity have gone up into God's presence so that he has you on his mind. One thing, he was praying about three o'clock in the afternoon. Why would Cornelius be praying about three o'clock in the afternoon? You know the answer to this? It was the time of the afternoon prayers, the time of the afternoon offerings in the temple. And so he was joining his prayers with the prayers that were being offered up in the temple, along with the mincha offering that was being given at that time as well. So he's praying about three o'clock, joining with the rest of the nation of Israel while they're praying. And an angel appears to him and says that your prayers and your, your, your charity, your, char- your prayers and your offerings have gone up before Yahweh and, as, and, and gone in his presence and he has you on his mind. And again, This man is from the nations. He was a Roman, right? So now send some men to Yafo to bring back a man named Shimon, also called Kepha. And he's staying with Shimon, the leather tanner, who has a house by the sea. As the angel had spoken to him, went away, Cornelius called two of his household slaves and one of his military aides, who was a godly man. And he explained everything to them, and he sent them to Yafo. And the next day, about noon, while they were still on their way approaching the city, Kepha went up under the roof of the house to pray. And he began to feel hungry, and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing the meal, he fell into a trance, in which he saw heaven open and something that looked like a large sheet being lowered to the ground by its four corners. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals, crawling creatures, and wild birds. And the voice came to him, Get up, Kepha, slaughter, and eat. But Kepha said, No, sir, absolutely not. I have never eaten food that was unclean or trife. That's common or unclean is given there. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Stop treating as unclean what God has made clean. And this happened three times, and then the sheep was immediately taken back up into heaven. So what are we to do with this information? I mean, Peter says, I have never eaten anything that was unclean or trife. Now let me ask you a question. How many meals do you think he had with you with Yeshua? I've never eaten anything unclean or trife. I've never eaten anything unclean or common. I've never eaten anything unclean or offered to idols. I've never eaten anything like this. And so we find as well that when it says that, so Peter was eating with some Gentiles, Peter says, I've never eaten anything unclean or trife. So was he eating unclean things with them? No. Doesn't say, because the issue of the point of hand there as well was not about what they were eating. It's the fact that they were eating together. (laughs) Because if you were to eat with a Gentile, you would be considered unclean yourself. Because the Gentile, of course, idolatry, right? And you're eating with a Gentile, you're eating with an idol worshiper. You would be unclean eating with them as well. Because who's to say if the food was offered to an idol or not, right? These were the issues at hand. These were what was going on. Not, (laughs) you may have heard the terminology, unclean food. There's no such thing. There is no there is things that can be eaten which is considered clean and food and things which are not to be eaten. It's not considered food. It's unclean meat. It's not food. So there is a differentiation between there. All right. So move going on. What was what was this really about? What was going on here? Even says Peter was puzzling over the meaning. Think about this for a second. Why would he be puzzling over the meaning of this? Because he himself said, I've never eaten anything unclean, right? So why would you be telling me to do this now? I mean, even in the Torah says not to do this. Why would you be telling me to do this now? And he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it, right? Okay. So while he's puzzling over this vision, when the men Cornelius had sent, having acquired Shimon's house, they stood at the gate. And he called out to ask if Shimon, known as Kepha, was staying there. And while Kepha's mind was still on this vision, the Spirit said, three men are looking for you. Consider the context of all this, guys. So Peter is saying, this is, this is puzzling. I don't understand what was going on. What's the meaning of these things? And then the Spirit speaks to him and says, there's three men looking for you. Right? It's like he's asking God a question and God is answering him. Right there, right? Verse 20. So get up, go downstairs, and have no misgivings about going with them because I myself have sent them. Again, answering the question, don't call unclean what I have cleansed. Speaking of the men, speaking of those who were not Jews, speaking of those from the nations. Verse 21, so Kepha went down and said to the men, you were looking for me, here I am. What brings you here? And they answered, Cornelius, he's a Roman army officer. Why would he have misgivings about going with, the, going with him to go see a Roman army officer? <laughs> I can think of quite a few reasons, actually. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> so, but Yahweh said, have no, have no second thought about going with him, right? So Cornelius, he's a Roman army officer, an upright man and a God-fearer, a man highly regarded by the whole Jewish nation. And he was told by a holy angel to have you come to his house and listen to what you have to say. Wow, what an amazing thing, right? So what happens? So Peter did what? He went with them. And he says to them, So you are well aware that for a man who is a Jew to have close association with someone who belongs to another people or come to visit him is something that just isn't done. This is addressing Peter's vision. He's telling them what he has now come to understand, right? And he says, But God has shown me to call any person, not to call any person, common or unclean. That's Peter's definition of the vision that he had. He explained it. It's about people. So what's going on next? So Peter says his interpretation was, God has shown me not to call any person common or unclean. Then Kepha addressed them. I now understand God does not play favorites, but that whomever fears him and does what is right and acceptable to him, no matter what people he belongs to. That was, his, that was what was going on with Peter. So go to Galatians 2, 11 and 12. This is what we're looking at here. So furthermore, 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 <laughs> sorry, I got into the Muppet speak for a second. <laughs> when Kepha came to Antioch, I opposed him publicly because he was clearly in the wrong. For prior to the arrival of certain people from the community headed by Yaakov, he had been eating with Gentile believers. Was the, was the issue at hand what he was eating or the fact that he was eating with Gentile believers? What was the issue? He was eating with people who were not Jewish. They were of the nations, but they believed. Right? But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he was afraid of the faction who favored the circumcision of Gentile believers. So again, what was the issue? What he ate or who he ate with? That was the issue. Again, Gentiles were considered unclean. Even if they prepared meat from a kosher animal, it would still would have been considered unclean because they were a Gentile. So what did the rest of the disciples think of Peter's vision? What did they have to say about it? Go to Acts 11. Acts 11. So the emissaries and the brothers throughout Yehuda heard that the Goyim had received the word of God. But when Kepha went to Yerushalayim, the members of the circumcision faction, they criticized him, saying, You went into the homes of the uncircumcised men and even ate with them. And in reply, Kepha began explaining in detail what actually had happened. What did he say had happened? So Peter now explains what he saw and what it meant. Again, right? Down to Acts eleven eighteen. What was the conclusion of this? All the Talmudim can eat unclean meats? Was that, was that the conclusion? No. No, it was not. What was the conclusion? On hearing these things, they stopped objecting and began to praise God, saying, this means that God has enabled the Goyim as well to do teshuva and to have life. This means that God has allowed those of the nations to repent and have life. That was the conclusion of everything. The conclusion of everything was not, great, let's all have a ham sandwich. Just saying. Okay. Acts 15, 8. Going back to Acts 15. Acts 15, 8. And God, who knows the heart, bore them witness by giving the Ruach HaKodesh to them just as he did to us. That was the issue, that Yahweh can pour out his spirit to whomever he desires. That's a great thing, guys. Because then we see that, no, God doesn't play favorites. All who turn to him, he receives in a place of covenant. All who turn to him, he receives. The thing is, though, once we come to him, we repent and we surrender our lives to him, then we now become part of a people called by his name and a people set aside and set apart for him. One people called by the name of Israel. A people whom he made covenant prominence with. Acts 10.44 while Peter was still speaking these words, the Ruach HaKodesh fell on all those hearing the message. And all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were astonished because, why were they astonished? Because the gift of the Ruach HaKodesh had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Not that the gift of the Spirit had been poured out, but that the gift of the Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. That was what the issue was. See, not that, that Yahweh's spirit moved. That's not the, they didn't have a problem with Yahweh's spirit moving, but on the Gentiles? Wait a minute. That like broke all their understanding, right? But that's exactly what Yahweh's making the point of here. He's saying, I have cleansed this people. All who turn to me are mine. This is what Yahweh tells us. 
And so we're learning how to walk with him in this place. Acts 15, 9. He made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts through faith. So why then do you put God to the test by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But instead, we believe that we are saved through grace of the Lord Yeshua in the same way as they are. Guys, here's the thing. You may have heard, we're saved by faith through grace, saved by grace through faith, right? This is a thing, but it's always been that way. We are always, it has always been faith in Yahweh and his grace that empowers us to come to him always been that way. It's never been any different. Even through all of the Torah, all through the Tanakh, everywhere, that's how we can come before him at all. It's never been any different. If you come to him in faith, he empowers us with his presence. He pours out his grace to us to allow us to serve him and equip us to stand in this world. Ephesians 2, 8 through 13. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it, this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, it is not based on deeds so that anyone may boast. See that? It's not about doing what you can to earn a position with Yahweh, because you can't do anything good enough to earn anything from Him. It's not about that. But on the other side of this, if you are redeemed, if you are born again, then you strive to keep His word. If you are redeemed, then you follow Him. It's not a matter of, I'm redeemed, now his word is irrelevant. No. If we are redeemed, his word is more relevant now than ever before to us. If we are redeemed, then his word is for us. And we see if we can take, keep reading in Ephesians 2. Down to verse 10. We are his workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua for good deeds. What's the word good deeds? Mitzvot. Mitzvot literally means commands. Okay? But it's translated as good deeds. You know why? Because if we are doing what Yahweh has commanded us to do, we are doing good. Because he is the only true good there is, right? And so if we're doing as, as his word has told us, then we are doing good. So he says we are his workmanship created in Messiah Yeshua to do mitzvot, to do the things that he commanded us, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. He didn't say, so that God has prepared mitzvot and prepared good deeds and showed us his word so we can ignore him. He said he did this so that we can walk in them. Therefore, remember, what's this key word here? Former state. Former state. You used to be Gentiles. If you're not Gentiles and you're not a Jew, what are you? See what I mean? This is what we're talking about. Verse 12. At that time, so you used to be of the nations. You used to be here. At that time, you were separate from the Messiah. Uh, you were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers of the covenant of promise. You had no hope, and you were without God in the world. Verse 13. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. That's an exciting scripture, guys. And we say, you know, that's an amen time for us right there. You have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. But the question is brought near to what? Or to whom? See, and, and we would answer, well, we've been brought near to God. And you know what? You're right. We've been brought near to Yahweh, okay? We've been brought near to God by this. But specifically, what does he say you've been brought near to? What came immediately right before this? What's the context of this? You were removed from the Messiah, removed from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to covenant that had promises in them. You didn't have hope and you were without God in the world. But now in the Messiah, Yeshua, so now you are joined with the Messiah. And as you are joined with the Messiah, these things that you were removed from, you were now a part of. You were removed, you were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. In the Messiah, you are a part of the commonwealth of Israel, not replacing anybody. But if you believe you're grafted in, then you're grafted in to be a part with, right? You didn't have hope, but now you have hope because you understand Yahweh makes covenant. Yahweh made promises and Yahweh does not break his word. And so now we have hope because he made covenant. He made promises and he's going to keep his word. Now we can walk with him confidently in this world because in the blood of the Messiah, he has brought us near.
Galatians 3. Now, pulling a few things out of here, but Galatians 3, verse 8. So the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. So again, that the nations, those of the nations would be justified by faith. Absolutely. But like I said, it's always been that way. But justified by faith, he proclaimed the good news. He proclaimed the gospel to Abraham in, the, in advance, saying, all the nations shall be blessed through you. So then the faithful are blessed along with Abraham, the faithful one. Go down to verse 14, and it says that Yeshua the Messiah did what he did. He went to his crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascending on high by means of his own blood going into the presence of the Father, placing on the mercy seat by him doing this. He did this. Why? Verse 14. In order that through the Messiah Yeshua, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, might come to the nations, so we might receive the promise of the Ruach HaKodesh through trusting faith. Verse 27, for all of you who are immersed in the Messiah have clothed yourselves with the Messiah. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Messiah Yeshua. And if you belong to the Messiah, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Wow. So you are all called part of one people set apart, called by his name. Not going in much more depth into that today, but you know some of you have heard this before, some of you may not. Uh, we did a, a six-part series, uh, The Gospel According to Abraham. You can find that on our YouTube channel and go back on there. Go back to Acts 15, verse 13. So Yaakov, James, Yaakov, you want to, the, the half-brother of Yeshua, if you want to put it that way, he stood up and he says, so brothers, this is what I have to say. Shimon has told us in detail what God did when he first began to show us his concern for taking from among the Goyim a people to bear his name. And the words of the prophets are in complete harmony with this, for it is written, After this I will return and I will rebuild the fallen tent of David and I will rebuild its ruins and restore it. Going from Amos 9.11. And then it says, So that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, that is, all the nations who have been called by my name. That's Amos 9.12. And so this says Adonai, who was doing these things. All this has been known for ages. So he's saying, these things that are happening, we knew it was going to happen. Right? So it shouldn't catch us off guard. We knew this was going to happen. This was prophesied by Amos. We knew these things were going to happen. But now the question is, what do we do with it? Right? Which again can kind of tell us something else. When we read through the prophecies in the scripture, we say these are some amazing things that Yahweh is going to do. And you're right. These are some amazing things that Yahweh is going to do. But the thing is, we miss that other little step in there saying, Yahweh, what's my part in this? Maybe he has a role for us to play so that he can perform his will in the earth. Yahweh will do what he's going to do with or without us, guys. But we know that he looks for people to carry out his will in the earth, right? So maybe he's wanting us to lay our life down so that he can use us in means to carry out his will and his promises to do things here in the earth. You don't know how many people you may impact in your life. Your, your life could be far more reaching than you may ever think. Moving on. Uh, Herman Strack, in his commentary, puts it this way. Who would expect God to raise up the fallen tent of David? As it says, in that day I will raise up the fallen tent of David. Who would expect the whole world would be one covenant? As it says, for then I will change the lips of the nations to purify them so that they may all call upon the name of Yahweh and serve him in one accord. Wow. So he's, he's testifying there that the whole world will be of one covenant, one covenant, one people with one king and one kingdom. We're not there yet, <laughs> but he's called us to work in that. So what was his decision? So therefore, my opinion is this, that we should not put obstacles in the way of the Goyim who are turning to God. We should instead write them a letter telling them to, telling them to what? So he's saying of these new people, he says, we shouldn't put obstacles before them that would, uh, that would make think life too hard for them, too difficult for them. We'll address that here in a minute, guys. But he says these four things are some things that we should kind of give them a starting point. In other words, let's, let's answer this this way. If you want something, where do I start once I turn to Yahweh? This was the ruling of the, of the disciples saying, this is your starting point. This is your elementary class. This is your foundations teaching, right? What is it? So what James said, to abstain from things polluted from idols, from fornication, from what is strangled, and from blood. 
Let's look a little more into this. Defilement from idols, it's idolatry is the issue here, not whether an animal is kosher or not. Okay, this was not the issue looking in the, through the scripture. You know, we find uh, Paul addressing this over and over again. Like if you go to the market and you have two dealers here, they're both selling lamb. You know this guy's kosher. You're not sure if this guy is, but this is all you can afford. You buy that. Are you going to eat that or not? You know what I mean? And then you serve it to guests. It's lamb, right? That's, that's the issue that's really going on here. It's not a matter of, well, am I eating lamb or am I eating pork? That was never the issue, Okay. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 13. So now considering idle sacrifices, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. In other words, are we going to put our knowledge in, in, above actually caring for one another and living with one another and helping each other out? Down to verse 7, but that knowledge is not in everyone. Some, so accustomed to idols up until now, eat food as an idol sacrifice, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Verse 8, the food will not bring us before God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we, if we do eat. But watch out that this freedom of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For suppose someone sees you who have this knowledge dining in an idol's temple. If his conscience is weak, won't he be emboldened to eat idol sacrifices? For the one who is weak is destroyed from your knowledge, the brother of whom the Messiah died. Verse 13, for this reason, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I do not cause my brother to stumble. What was the issue? What was the question? It wasn't what, what kind of meat. No, it was a kosher animal, but he thought it was offered to idols. So there was like a judgment going forth from ourselves on this. That was the issue that was going on here. 1 Corinthians 10, 20 says, I'm saying what the pagan sacrifice is to demons and not God. And I don't want you to become partners with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We're not stronger than he, are we? So again, these were the issues that were, that were at hand here. Verse 27, or no, 1 Corinthians 10, 23. So everything is permitted, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permitted, but not everything builds up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So eat what is sold in the meat market without raising question of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. For if an unbeliever invites you over and wants you to eat whatever is set before you, raising questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this is from an idle sacrifice, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you for the sake of conscience. So not your own conscience, I mean, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another man's conscience? So if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I give thanks for? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all for the glory of God. So if you look at this, you're, what you're reading, you're, I mean, we're talking about a kosher animal, not a non-kosher animal. We're talking about a kosher animal that could have been maybe possibly offered up to an idol, but we don't know. That was the issue that they were talking about. But again, he said to abstain from defilement of idols. So that could be what you worship as well as uh, what they were doing here. You know, idol worship was a big deal in the day, right? They offered up food to idols. They did these things. So again, what are you going to, what are you going to partake of here? This was the issue. Abstain from sexual immorality. Uh, this is one Leviticus chapter 18. This entire chapter deals with forbidden relationships. That's the word that's used here. Uh, it was just some, from sexual immorality, mainly dealing with this type of thing as well as some other things that we see. First uh, Corinthians 6, 18 and 19. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the one committing sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or don't you know that your body is a temple of the Ruach HaKodesh who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Colossians 3, 4, and 6. So when the Messiah, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, for that is idolatry. See that? All of these things is idolatry. So again, keep away from idolatry. Well, that includes these things. Because of such things, God's wrath is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Revelation 2, 12 to 14, to the angel of the community of Pergamum, right? Here is the message from the one who the sharp double-edged sword wrote. I know where you're living and there where the adversary's throne is, yet you are holding on to my name. You did not deny trusting in me, even at the time my faithful witness Antipas was put to death in your town, there where the adversary lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have some people who hold the teaching of Balaam. What was the teaching of Balaam? 
summarize, remember Balaam was hired to curse Israel. He could not do it, to greatly oversimplify the story. He could not do it, but yet when the time came for him to get paid, he knew that if he, if he could not bring about a curse to Israel, he wasn't going to get paid. He knew that he could not curse them because God said, if you curse them, try to curse them, I'll kill you. So he knew he couldn't do that. What he did instead is he counseled Balak on how to cause a stumbling block for Israel to cause themselves to stumble and fall. What he did was he said, send in, send in uh, the women and cause them to fall into sexual morality and idolatry. And that's what happened. So he taught Balak to set a trap for the people of Israel so that they would eat food that had been sacrificed to idols and commit sexual sin. Revelation 2, 18 to 20. To the angel community of Thyatira, right? Here is a message from the Son of God whose eyes are like a fiery flame, whose feet are like burnished brass. I know what you're doing, your love, trust, service, perseverance. I know that you are doing more now than ever before, but I have this against you. You continue to tolerate the Jezebel woman, the one who claims to be a prophet, but is teaching and deceiving my servants to commit sexual sin and eat food that's been sacrificed to idols. So what were the issues? Sexual morality and idolatry. These were the things that we were told to abstain from. And for what is strangled can also be translated as what was suffocated. In other words, it died with the blood still inside the body. In a kosher slaughter, they, they slice the, the, the neck in such a way they bleed it out as it's dying so that the blood does, the, the life blood does not remain in the body. You're always going to have like trace elements of blood. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about it had been bled out. And then if you're eating a, a kosher meat, they also salt it and do things to help further bring the blood out that's in it. So you're not eating the blood in the midst of that. Acts 15, 29, again, abstain from things offered idols, from blood, from strangled, from sexual morality, keeping away from these things, you will do well. Shalom. Exodus 22, 31, you shall be consecrated to me, therefore you shall not eat any flesh that is torn by beasts in the field, you shall throw it to the dogs. Again, this idea, this includes that which has been torn because it is, it's the lifeblood that it wasn't slit properly, it wasn't a kosher slaughter, it wasn't bled out that way. It was died with the blood, well, most of the blood still in it. Like Leviticus 17, 15, every person who eats what dies of itself or what is torn by beasts, whether he is a native or a sojourner, shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and you'll be unclean till the evening, and then he shall be clean. Deuteronomy 14, 21, you shall not eat anything that has died naturally. You may give it to the sojourner who is within your towns. He may eat it. You may sell it to a foreigner, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. You know, I've been asked, so if you can't eat it, why can you give it, sell it to a sojourner or give it to somebody else? You know what? I don't know. But it says, you are a holy people to Yahweh your God. You're not to do that. So I guess the only other thing you can say is, I mean, they don't care. It's meat, let them eat it, but you don't do it. It's kind of like your kid who asks you, well, how come I can't do it, but they can? And what do you often reply? They're not my kid. <laughs> I don't know. Food for thought. <laughs> no pun intended. Abstain from blood. Genesis 9.4 says, Only the flesh with its life, that is the blood, you must not eat. Leviticus 7.26, You are not to eat any blood, whether it is a bird or animal or any of your dwellings. Leviticus 17.10-13, Anyone from the house of Israel or from the outsiders dwelling among them who eats any kind of blood, I will set my face against that soul, and the one who eats the blood, I will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your lives. For it is the blood that makes atonement because of the life. It wasn't the death of something Yahweh wanted, it was the life, and the life was in the blood. So it was the life that went on the altar. Therefore I have said to the sons of Israel, no person among you may eat the blood, nor may any outsider dwelling among you eat the blood. Any person from the sons of Israel or from the outsiders dwelling among them who hunts as game any animal or bird that may be eaten must drain its blood and cover it with dust. Even if you uh, go hunting and you kill an animal and you, you slaughter it, you do that, you are to not just let it bleed out on the ground, you're to bury. Okay. Deuteronomy 12.16, you are not to eat the blood, you are to pour it out on the ground like water. Deuteronomy 12.23, be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life, and you are not to eat the life with the meat. And you are not to eat it, you are to pour it out on the ground like water. So he gave us these four things that we saw there. But it doesn't stop there, because uh, often when you read through Acts, Acts 15, when it says these are the things that, that we're supposed to do, it's supposed to start, they give these four things and then they stop, and that's the end of it. But that wasn't the end of the ruling. That wasn't the end of the decision. What else was said? Verse 21. For from the earliest times, Moshe has had in every city those who proclaim him, with his words being read in the synagogues every Shabbat. So what's being said? Is this just 
just for common knowledge, just by the way? Or is he making a point? He was making a point. What was the point? Go to the synagogue on Shabbat to hear the Torah taught. Both of these issues that we find at the beginning of Acts 15 are addressed. Do you have to convert to Judaism to serve Yahweh? The answer is no. Should you keep the Torah? Yes. But you don't have to know it all overnight. And that's often the problem that we, that we put on ourselves and others. Okay? It's like when we first come, first come to, to the knowledge that, wow, I mean, Yahweh's word that was in the first part of the book was for me too? Wow, okay, so how do I do that? And so we get excited, and so we paralyze ourselves at times because we start reading all these things. We're like, I have to do all these things before we even understand it, which sort of some things we may never understand, but you know what I'm trying to say. So are we going to overwhelm ourselves, paralyze us to a place of where we can't move out of fear because we might get something wrong, or do we take what we know, walk in it, and let Yahweh correct us along the way? See, that's what we should do. We, we do this a step at a time, right? As we learn, we walk. As we need correction, we get correction. If we fall, we brush ourselves off and keep walking. See, this is what the Word is telling us. So go to the synagogue on Shabbat to hear the Torah taught. So the question is, who does Shabbat belong to? Belongs to Yahweh. Leviticus 23 Adonai said to Moshe, tell the people of Israel the designated times of Adonai, which you are to proclaim as holy convocations, are my designated times. There's a lot going on in this verse. When you read through Leviticus 23, it talks about the different Moedim that are established there. Well, the first one is Shabbat. The very first one of all of them is the Sabbath. And he says that you shall proclaim that these are holy convocations. Well, holy, of course, set apart, right? But what is a convocation? A convocation is a public gathering. It's a public assembly by the nature of the word. It's, this, is a, this is a public called out gathering. So can you have a holy convocation if you're trying to hide away? You know, things to think about. Yahweh has called us, you know, we even say this, you know, especially today when life is getting difficult and we may see a lot of problems and a lot of issues going on in the world and a lot of people are, are moving out of fear and they're, you know, run to the hills kind of thing, right? Are we ever told to do that? We're not. Yeshua said, occupy till I come. Has he came yet? He said, occupy until I come. In other words, we have a job to do. He, he gave us things that we must do. We must live in this world and testify of him and his goodness and his kingdom while we are here. We have responsibility to do that. And furthermore, how much of the Torah is reliant upon you being around other people? You can't truly learn to walk in the Torah if you're not around anybody ever. See? Because it's, uh, much of the Torah is about relationships. And, and love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't say you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and might, and, and, and keep away from your neighbor so you never have to deal with them. <laughs> no! We're to love Yahweh and love our neighbor, and this is both an expression of keeping his Torah. Yeshua said on these two things, hang or depend all the Torah and the, all the Torah and all the prophets. If we're doing these things, then we will be learning to follow him throughout the rest of the book. Ezekiel 20, 12. I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them that they may know that I am Yahweh that sanctifies them. He, Yahweh says that the Sabbath is a sign that he sanctifies you. And this word sign, it's the same way that we would use the term for a wedding ring. It is a sign that you don't belong to you, that it is Yahweh who sanctifies you. And so keeping the Shabbat, it's not working your own righteousness. It's not trying to do your own thing. It's not trying to earn anything from Yahweh. It is a sign that you don't belong to you. It is a sign that Yahweh sanctifies you, that he sets you apart, that you don't belong to you, you belong to him. So where was Yeshua on Shabbat? Well, the testimony that we find when it mentions Shabbat, many places, it's, he was in the synagogues on Shabbat. Now, we do find other issues where he was, you know, out in the field or talking to other people or ministering or doing other things. Absolutely. But guys, um, we do see he was in the synagogues on Shabbat. And Shabbat's a whole day. <laughs> right? Look at a couple of things. Mark, 12, Mark 1, 21. So they entered Capernaum, Capernaum, and on Shabbat, Yeshua went to the synagogue and he began teaching. 
Mark 6, 2, when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing were astonished. Okay, Luke 4, 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Shabbat and stood up to read. That little phrasing right there gives us great insight. When it says, so he went to the, he went to the, to the synagogue on Shabbat, as his custom was, what does that tell us? That's what he did most often. That was his default. You know, that was what he did. If you want to put it habitually, if you want to say it that way, you can put it that way. What is a custom? It's just the way you do something. You know, each family has its own customs. Not every custom is opposing the word of Yahweh, but yet there are things that each family has established just the way our family does things. Well, that's what Yeshua's custom was to go to the synagogue on Shabbat. Luke 4.31, they came to Capernaum city of Galilee and he taught them on the Sabbath days. And again, like we said, on these two things, hang and depend, all the Torah and the prophets. This means it is a foundational element of our faith. We learn the word of Yahweh so we can properly move in the spirit of Yahweh. See? So that we can learn to discern our thoughts and our intent. And so that we can truly see, are we walking by his presence, walking by his spirit? Are we submitting to him fully in our lives? Or are we trying to do our own thing and put God's stamp of approval on it? Right? Are, do, are we allowing his word to be written on our hearts and learning to walk in that way? Isaiah 8, 16 and 20 says, Bind up the testimony, seal the Torah among my disciples. That word among literally means within. So literally to have the word within our hearts to put in us. And verse 20, to the law and the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, because there's no light in them. Again, we rely on the word of Yahweh for life and for light, and that's what we walk according to. So Yeshua was asked, uh, Matthew 22, 35 to 40. So one of them, a lawyer says, teacher, which is the great commandment of the law. And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, quoting from Deuteronomy 6. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself, quoting from, Luter, from Leviticus 19. On these two commandments depend or hang all the Torah and the prophets. So again, do we try to say we have to do everything that Yahweh told us and we have to learn it all overnight and if we don't, we're doomed? No, not at all. We even see in Deuteronomy uh, 11, verses 8 and 9, it says, You shall therefore keep the whole command that I give you this day. How do we keep the whole command? Oh my goodness. I mean, we're responsible for it, right? The word doesn't change. How do we keep it all if we don't know it all? There's a key here that's being said here. It kind of gets lost a little bit in translation. It says, Ushmartim et kol ha-mitzvah. Ushmartim is to keep and to guard and protect. And you are to keep and to guard and protect. Et kol. The Aleph Taf, when we see the Aleph Taf, it's, it's, it often gives us something symboling the Messiah, referencing the Messiah, something about him. And kol is each or every or all, depending on context, how it's translated. And then mitzvah. Not mitzvot. Plural. It's not plural. It's a singular word. Mitzvah. One word. Single. One item. So what he's saying here is keep or protect and guard each mitzvah. Each. Each is different than all. It includes it, but it's different in how you approach. See, each means as it is revealed to us, as it is given to us, we learn it, we walk in it, we do it. That's how we're supposed to follow him, step by step. And that's how we continue to walk with him. Back to Acts chapter 13, verse 13. So setting sail from Paphos, Paul's company came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they passed on from Perga, and they came to Antioch of Pisidia, entering the synagogue on the Shabbat, and they sat down. So where were they? They went, and they came in, and on the, on the, on the Shabbat, they entered the synagogue, and they sat down. And after reading the Torah and the prophets in the synagogue, the leaders said to them, saying, Brothers, do you have any word of encouragement for the people? Now is the time to ask and speak. Luke 24, 44. So he says to him, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything written concerning me in the Torah of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Again, go to the synagogue on Shabbat to hear the Torah taught. Yeshua said that the things that Moshe wrote were of him and concerning him and were about him. He said, if you truly believe what Moses wrote, you would believe me because it was about me that he wrote. And if we believe that, then the opposite of that is true as well. If we believe what Moses wrote, then we believe the words of Yeshua. But if we say we really believe the words of Yeshua, then we have to believe what Moses wrote too. See? Because they don't contradict. They work together. 
Luke 24, 25, Yeshua says, Foolish ones of slow heart to put your trust all that the prophets spoke. Was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter his glory? Then beginning with where? Moses and the prophets. He explained to them all the things written about himself in the scriptures. And then their eyes were opened and revealed to them. So what is going on? As we learn Yahweh's ways, we change. And that's the point that we're getting at, okay? Uh, we see in Isaiah 2, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of Adonai's house will stand firm as the head of the mountains and will be exalted above the hills, so all nations will flow to it. All nations. That means people from every nation from the entire earth, right? Verse 3. And many people will go and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of Adonai, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will what? Teach us his ways. And we will walk in his paths. What does this mean? For the Torah will go forth from Zion and the word of Adonai from Jerusalem. See that? We will learn from Yahweh himself, his Torah, his word, what he has given. It will go forth and we will receive from him the word of Yahweh. It's like even he, he even testifies of Moses the same way. Psalm 103.7 says, He made his ways known to Moses, his deeds to the children of Israel. Do you want to know Yahweh or do you just want to know some things that he does? That's the difference. He said that Moshe knew his ways. Moshe knew his heart. Moshe had that connection. Israel knew God's deeds. When the time came for them to draw near and to come into that very personal relationship with Yahweh, out of fear, they backed off. And they said, Moses, you go find out what God says and then tell us and then we'll do it. Right? But yet each of us were to have that personal relationship, that mountaintop experience that Yahweh called Moses up to. He called all of us to come up, but we backed off. But guys, this is what Yeshua came to restore. So we can have that personal relationship with Yahweh, that he dwells within you and he walks with you as we walk with him. Psalm 27, 7 and 8. Hear Adonai when I call with my voice. Be gracious to me and answer me. To you, my heart says, seek my face. Your face, Adonai, I seek. That's what we're learning here. The summary of Acts 15 is this. If you come to faith in Yahweh, just turn your face toward him. Seek him. Let him teach you his ways. As we learn his ways, walk in it. As we make mistakes, repent and keep moving. As we seek his heart, don't lose hope. Don't keep your eyes on the world as we're seeking the heart of the Father. Let us turn our hearts towards Yahweh and seek him. Love him with all of our heart, with all our soul and all our might. And learn to show what he's revealing to you in his heart. Learn to show that to others. Seek his face. Not just the things he does. Seek his face that relationship, that personal thing with him so that we can help others how to approach in Yeshua's name. Amen.